Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we are concluding our series called At Home. If you're a guest with us today, um, you you showed up on the, the last day of this series, and so uh, welcome home. Um, but um, we've been taking a close look at the homes that Jesus visited while he was On earth, walking this earth, we're looking at those homes. And the first week, we looked at the time that Jesus visited the home of Simon Peter, and he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And I'm thankful that Simon and his mother-in-law had a a good relationship, or he might have been angry with Jesus. But but he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And I told you that Jesus in the house brings healing to the house. How many of you are thankful for healing in the house of God? Amen? I said, how many of you are thankful for healing in the house of God? Amen? Now, you better wake up and get with me, okay? There you go. Thank you. The second week, we focused on the time that Jesus visited the home of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man of means, but not a man of of mission. And I told you, Jesus in the house brings purpose to the house. And then the third week, we studied the time when Jesus went to the home of Jairus and raised his daughter from the dead. And I told you that Jesus in the house brings joy to the house. And then last week, we looked at the time when four men brought their paralytic friend to the house where Jesus was staying And we realize that Jesus in the house brings people to the house. My family has lived in in 10 different houses. Since the day Mandy and I got married, we've had 10 different houses that we've lived in. Some of them we have owned. Some of them we have rented. In Lake City, when Mandy and I first got married, we, we only lived in one house in Lake City, one home in Lake City. Then when I went into ministry full time and we went to Live Oak for me to be a youth pastor in Live Oak, and Live Oak, we... We had two different homes that we lived in uh, during that period. When we went to Tampa, there were three different homes that we lived in, two that we rented, one that we owned, three different homes in Tampa that we lived in. And since we've been in Newberry, we have lived in four different homes. And so if we were to move again, the next place where we would live, I I realized I would have to live in five different locations to follow that pattern, one, two, three, four, and five. And so I've just decided I'm not moving again because I hate moving and I'm certainly not moving five different places in one city. So I'm just staying here. This is where I'm gonna die. So you might as well just get used to it. Up until recent years, Mandy has always said that her favorite home that we ever lived in was our very first home in Lake City. Not necessarily the city, but, but the home, the actual home, the, the place where we would sleep at night. And it wasn't fancy, that very first home that we lived in. Um, it wasn't fancy by any stretch of the imagination. When we first got married, Mandy and I lived in this small double wide. It was about 24 feet wide and about 50 feet long. It was a very small double wide. And Mandy loved it, and the reason why Mandy loved it so much, because it was small, um, but she got to pick out all of the colors. It was a new double wide. God blessed us with an opportunity to live in a, in a new double wide when we first got married. Um, <clears throat> we both had great jobs, and so we, we were able to secure financing, and we bought us the world's smallest double wide. And, um, and she picked out all of the colors for this house, and, and, and it was new, and, 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 and so you didn't have to worry about you know, who had lived there before you. And Mandy has always said for so many years that that was her favorite place. Even though we've lived in, in more expensive homes since then, that was always the one that stood out to her. That's always the one that, 
it, it reminded you know she could be reminded of of that that was hers she could put you know her her handprint on that now we live in a much larger home that that once again she got to design and pick out all of the colors and all of the fixtures and so all is well in the world again and living with Mandy she's she's happy there's something special about building a new home if you've never had the chance to build a new home I pray one day that you have that opportunity but let me give you some pastoral advice just in case though it is exciting it is also one of the most trying times of your marriage okay and, and I, I'm just letting you know that, that Mandy and I, in building this last home, it was, it was very frustrating to say the least. We were at each other's throats most of the time. And, and, and it really came down to a, a couple of things. One, um, I wanted a certain type of cabinet. Mandy wanted a, another type of cabinet. Mandy won. I wanted... Certain light fixtures. Mandy wanted some different light fixtures. Mandy won. But wouldn't you know it, three and not quite three and a half years later, what are the two things that Mandy doesn't like about her home? The cabinets and the light fixtures. She won, but I was right. Because I'm always right, amen? There you go, men. Come on, men, where are you at? I said, I'm always right, amen? Amen. God help us. God help me. I've got to go home with her. <laughs> Today's text is, is a little different than the previous week's. Um, I've saved this one for last because it, it wasn't necessarily a house that Jesus visited when, when he walked the earth. It's about the house that he's building for you. And so I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7 from John chapter 14. And I want you to picture this, this setting with me that Jesus and his disciples, he's speaking to his disciples. They are in an upper room and... Jesus is, is speaking directly to them in John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. And he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In our text today, we find Jesus on the last night that he would spend with his disciples. They are in Jerusalem and they're celebrating the feast of Passover and they're all gathered in an upper room eating a meal together, a meal that we would later refer to as the Last Supper. And they're eating this meal together and Jesus is using this time to instill some kingdom principles into their hearts and to their minds. This is his last opportunity before he will be arrested to instill these values, these principles of, of the kingdom of God into them. 
In a few short hours, Jesus will be arrested, abused, beaten, crucified, and killed. And so soon, these disciples will have to live through life's frustrations and through life's trials without Jesus physically by their side. This will be the first time that they've experienced this in three and a half years. For three and a half years, these men have walked with him. They have talked with him. They have witnessed the miracles. They have, they have watched him uh, raise the dead and, and, and heal the sick, open blind eyes, cause people to walk that could not walk. And they've witnessed all of this, but Jesus has been by their side the entire time. Now Jesus has to prepare them for a time that he's not going to be with them any longer. Now, now he did not leave us uncared for. We, we know that, that he would send the Holy Spirit to comfort them. We know that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide them and to empower them. That is a gift that Christ gave to the church. But he has to get them mentally prepared for life without him physically by their side. So to help them understand to help, to help them understand this a little better, he tells them these words, John 14 verses 2 through 4. He says, "In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I'll take you to myself that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going." In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. Gentlemen, I am leaving, but I will come back to get you, but you know where I am going. Thomas responds and says what everybody in the room is thinking. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Everybody in the room was wondering that. But Thomas had the guts to actually say it. We don't know where you're going. You, you keep saying we know where you're going, but, but we don't know where you're going. How would we know that? Jesus, can you give us a map to where you are going? You, you know, Lord, is, is the location to where you're going, is it available on our Waze app? You know, can we look it up there? Or, or at least, Rabbi, listen, when you get there, can you change the privacy settings on your phone and share your location with us? At least you could do that so that we will know where you are going because Jesus, we don't have a clue what you're talking about right now. You keep talking about leaving and we don't know where you're going and Jesus responds with these words in verse six. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Thomas, you're wondering how to get there? I'm letting you know I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, let me give you some directions on how to get there from here. I am the way. You want to see the Father? You have to get there through me. Thomas, this is the way. For all my Star Wars fans in the room, this is the way. The rest of you, we're geeking out right now, so just bear with us, okay? Listen to me. This world will try and convince you that there are a million and one ways to get to heaven. Church, you better wake up because they're trying to brainwash you right now. They will tell you that Buddha is a way to heaven. 
They will tell you that Allah is a way to heaven. They will tell you that, that Joseph Smith is a way to heaven. They will tell you that your good deeds will get you to heaven. They will tell you that, that, that everybody's going to heaven, that God is love. And so it's just the doors just swing wide open to everybody. And as great as that sounds, and as much as I wish that were true, because I don't, I don't wish hell on anyone. I don't want anyone to have to spend eternity without Christ Jesus, without God the Father, without the Holy Spirit. I don't want them to go through eternity without that. I don't want them to spend eternity in, in eternal damnation. That is not my wish. If I've ever wanted to be wrong on something, I want to be wrong on this. I want the gates of heaven to swing wide open. But Jesus was very plain and he didn't stutter when he said it. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes through the to the Father except through me. And so church, it doesn't matter what they're preaching, what they're trying to shove down your throat, Jesus is the only way to heaven, and if Jesus is the only way to heaven, if he's the only way to the Father, then we've got a message that we must be preaching because there's people that are dying without Christ, and it's up to us to share that good news because it's just not intuitive. Somebody has to tell them. How will they know unless someone is sent? Mom, Dad, you need to listen to me. Oh, this, this is not gonna sit well with some of you. It's time that you stop letting them think for themselves. I did not expect any amens. But it is time that you, while they're under your roof, stop letting them think for themselves. They're dumb. There it is. Parents are waking up now. I don't mean to offend all of the students in the room and, and all the children. Jesus loves you and so do I. But parents, listen to me. They're dumb. They're dumb. They can't think for themselves. It's why God put you in their life. For a season, you're allowed to think for them. Oh, somebody better wake up. For a season, you're allowed to, to, to think for them. You know that, right? To guide them and to lead them because I promise you, the world is screaming at them to get their attention. And you are allowed to help them think while they're living under your roof. Students, young man, young woman, listen, listen to me. It's time that you stop buying into whatever the world is trying to sell you. It's time that you become a voice and not an echo. And we've got way too many people right now that they've just become an echo. Whatever society is screaming at them, they're just wanting to be an echo of that. Listen, I believe that there are some real, real social issues that's got to be dealt with. And I believe that, 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 that there's some things that cannot be ignored. But you listen to me, church. It is time that we start preaching the love of Jesus Christ in every one of these situations. It's time that we start bringing, bringing healing and not hate to these situations. And students, you listen to me. You're called to be a voice. But quit echoing what they're trying to get you to say. The message was very plain and simple. Jesus is the only way and he is preparing a place for us. Jesus is the only way to get there but he is preparing a place for us. Back in, in February of 2017, I preached a sermon series called Fixed Marriage. 
Fixed Marriage. Some of you were there to, to hear this series. And in the third week of that series, I mentioned the betrothal process of a bride and a groom in first century Israel. And the father of a young single man would look around for a suitable girl and finding one, he would go to her parents' house to ask for her hand in marriage. And, and there would be some financial negotiating. I'm not saying that, that this is you know, the way to do things, but I am saying my daughter is still single and there could be some financial negotiating, just letting you know. So in first century Israel, there would be some financial negotiating, and, and once they settled on an appropriate price, then the betrothal would take place. And although the betrothal was an, an airtight legal agreement, much more serious than our present-day engagements and even our present-day marriages, the marriage was not consummated until the actual wedding day. But when the betrothal was sealed, the prospective groom, or what the Bible would refer to as the bridegroom, that groom would tell his bride, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place. You're not going to see me for a little while because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so Jesus was speaking in terms that the early believers would understand as he was having this conversation with his disciples in that upper room. He was Telling them, even before his crucifixion, he was telling them, I go to prepare a place for you. And then that groom would spend the next several months to even a year preparing a nice little addition to his father's house. Where he and his wife would soon live. And then he would return, often in the middle of the night, to surprise his bride and take her to her new home. At his father's house. Church. Our groom will return. Jesus will return. For his bride. We are the bride of Christ. And Jesus is coming back. And I'm more conv convinced of that now. Than ever before. Listen I've heard it my entire life. My whole life. I have heard this. Some of you are older than I am. And you've heard this preached. Over and over and over. But I'm just looking at the world right now. And I'm realizing that, that the coming of Christ is sooner now than ever. I'm realizing that the signs are there and Christ is going to return. And he's going to take us to his father's house where he has prepared a place for us to live throughout eternity. And I'm afraid sometimes that we look at this scenario kind of like Jesus is in heaven with his, with his tool belt on. And he's steadily building us a, a place to live in. I can assure you, church, that, that, that Christ is not measuring and cutting wood right now. He's not hammering away. You know, he was there when the world was spoken into existence. All he has to do is say it and the place is prepared. That's not what he meant. And I, I, I can tell you that unlike our construction process here, he's not delayed and he's not running behind, okay? You understand that, right? The, the return of Christ is not delayed. He's coming. And he's going to be right on time. And when he looked at his disciples and said, I go to prepare a place for you, he was only a few hours from his crucifixion. And upon his death and resurrection three days later, all of the preparations at that moment were complete. He had made a way. He had prepared a place. 
And right now, he is simply just standing there, just waiting for his father to look at him and say, son, go get your bride. And when he says those words, that's when Jesus is coming back for his church. He's just waiting. And, and I, personally, I believe that the only reason that, that, that there is a wait and understand there, there is no waiting with God. God, God he, he, he is not bound by time. And so God is not delayed. But I believe in our minds why this is, is delayed. Here's the reason why. I just believe that he is wanting this entire planet to be covered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To give everyone an opportunity to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. In the meantime, like his disciples, we're stuck here awaiting his return. Mandy and I, we've had people ask us before if the stories that I tell from the pulpit are true. That is one of the most offensive things you could ask me. I mean, am I a liar? You know, is that, do you really think of me like that? And so people have asked me, people have asked her, and... Um, Many times I'll go to Mandy as I'm preparing a sermon so that we can get our story straight. I want to make sure that the way I remember it is the way that she remembers it. So that if I am lying, I can convince her to change her story, you know. So I went up to Mandy last night about a, this particular incident I want to share with you. And um, we started talking about it, standing in the kitchen talking about it. And I said, Mandy, I want you to think back to our wedding night. I'm going to ask you something about that happened on our wedding night. And Kendall, Kendall was standing in the kitchen and she went, oh no, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> before that, before that. Earlier on the wedding night. I have to tell you that uh, the details with Mandy were pretty vague. And we did not agree on all the details that I'm about to share with you. But it's my sermon and it fits better the way I remember it. We're usually spot on, but on our wedding night at the end of our reception, we agree on this part. There was a limousine that was waiting to take us away to our car that was in an undisclosed location. So Mandy and I, back then, remember they could, they could throw bird seed or rice, you know. And uh, we, we got in the limousine and, and we left and we're riding through town. And we go to the undisclosed location to get our car but it was gone. Now, we still agree on this part. But this is where our stories differ. So you're going to get my version because it's right. She got the cabinets and the fixtures. I get the story, okay? When we got to that spot to where our car was supposed to be, there were some of our friends that were there that came running out from behind. You know, they were hiding and they came running out. And the guys grabbed me and threw me into a car. And the girls grabbed Mandy and threw her into a car. And they took us in two separate directions. Mandy has, has chosen to completely forget all of this. I guess it was so traumatic for her. She's trying to forget it. But 30 minutes later, these two scared kids that we had no idea what we were getting into, we've already said goodbye to our mommies and our daddies. 30 minutes later, we're still trying to find each other. And she was waiting on me to arrive and to take her away to be with me. Like a bride waiting for her betrothed, the church waits in eager expectation for Christ to come and take us. That's where we're at. 
We're waiting. And because we're waiting and we don't like waiting, sometimes we can't help but wonder, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus when the world is falling apart? Where's Jesus in the middle of a pandemic? Where's Jesus when there's social injustice and racial division? Where's Jesus at? Where's Jesus when someone you love is sick and you want them healed so very bad? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus when your marriage is dissolving? Where's Jesus when your emotions are all over the place and nobody seems to understand and they certainly don't care? Where is Jesus? And church, I need you to understand Jesus is where he has always been. In Luke chapter 2, we find the only recorded words of Christ as a child. That For some reason, they, they chose not to give us his first words of mama or, or, or maybe it was dada. Or mine. You know, every, every child at some point, they learn that word, mine, mine, it's mine, it's mine. You try and take that toy away from that kid. Whatever's keeping them quiet in church right now, try and take it away from them, and I'm sure they will say, mine, mine. But that's not the words that they chose to give us. In Luke chapter 2, we find the only recorded words of Christ as a child He's 12 years old and somehow he has been separated from his parents who are traveling home in a caravan returning from Jerusalem. And, and, and they search for him for three days. For three days they're searching for him and they finally find him in the temple. Mary says, where have you been? Boy, we've been searching for you. Where have you been? Now, I do not advise any child to respond the way that 12-year-old Jesus did, unless you're God, unless you're some type of deity in your own right. You can be my guest, but you're probably going to tote a butt whipping if you answer the way he did. You might get away with it. But in Luke 2 and 49, Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Why were you searching for me? If you would have thought this thing through, mom and dad, I'm paraphrasing right now. If you would have really thought about it, wouldn't you have known that I would be in my father's house? Where was he while Mary and Joseph were searching for him frantically in his father's house? Where did he tell his disciples that he would be while they were waiting for his return? In my father's house. Where is he while he lived, breathed as a child waiting for his parents to find him for three days in his father's house? And where is he when we live in such a messed up world and we don't have any answers? I can tell you he's in his father's house in this moment right now. Listen to what it says in Romans 8 and 34. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you hear that, church? Right now, 
in this moment. He's in his father's house, sitting at the right hand of the father, interceding for us. That means Christ right now is praying for you right now. He's advocating for you. Your Jesus is for you, and he is not against you. But he's in his father's house right where he's always been. And if you want to find Jesus, you have to look for him in his father's house. Now, now get this. I brought you all the way to, the, to this point right here. This is, this is what this series is all about right here. He did not leave us without access to his father's house. I'm not talking about you having to die to get there or him rapturing the church to get there. That's going to happen. Okay? That's set in stone. That's going to happen. But I'm talking about right here in this moment, we have access to the Father's house. Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, truly I say unto you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two if you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Church, that's why we gather here at the Lord's house. When God's people come together, Jesus promises us that he is here with us. It's access to the Father's house. It means that a little bit of heaven touches earth. When God's people are gathered together, <clears throat> if you feel like you haven't encountered Jesus in a while, then you need to find you one or two people that can gather in his name and then you watch Jesus show up. Because the glory of God brings heaven to earth. And the glory of God is present when God's people come together. When Jesus is in, the, is in the house, heaven is in the house. How do you get Jesus into the house? Where two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus is in the house. And when he's here, Heaven is here. This is that moment that heaven meets earth. Where we get to experience a little bit of what eternity will be like. It happens when God's people are together. You see, Mandy and I, we've lived in a few places that were not exactly what we wanted or where we wanted to live. But I was always amazed at how Mandy could put her touch on it and it would feel like home. All we need is his touch in his house. And it feels like home. You understand that the home I speak about is not the home that you will go home to this afternoon. The home that I speak about, scripture tells me that we are sojourners. We are just travelers. We're just passing through this. This is not our home. This is all temporary. 
And when heaven touches earth, we get a little taste of our heavenly home, our eternal home. No matter where we reside, physically, mentally, or spiritually, we need him to put his touch on it. How many of you could use a touch from heaven today, amen? It doesn't matter what house he was in when Jesus was there, heaven was there. Whatever house he walked into when he was at Peter's house, that home was grace with a little touch of heaven, brought healing. When he was at the home of Zacchaeus, heaven was there and it brought purpose. When he was at the home of Jairus, heaven was there and it brought joy. When he was at the temple, The Bible says that they were amazed at the questions and the understanding that he, that he had. Because heaven's knowledge was being poured into them. When he was at the temple, heaven was present. Wherever Jesus is, heaven is. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.